Well, good morning to you. I am Joel, one of the pastors here. Uh, that's obviously about the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter uh, 20 primarily. And so we're going to be looking at the Ten Commandments the next two weeks. Not today, but we want you to get ready for it um, as we're going to be diving into that um, in the next two weeks. So both next weekend, the following weekend as well, uh, the Ten Commandments coming up then. Today, Exodus chapter 18. So can I invite you, we'd love just to walk through the Word of God here. Uh, can I invite you to open up to Exodus chapter 18? Uh, let me give you a little bit of background uh, in terms of what's been happening and what's been taking place. We already know uh, that the Israelites have been set free from captivity out of Egypt. They've crossed through the what? I am a miserable teacher. Okay. So, let's start over again. Who's ready to participate today? Awesome. Okay, both of you. So, what we're going to do. Here we go. The Israelites, they were in captivity in the land of Egypt. And so then they fled away from Pharaoh and they crossed through the... Right. And then they go into the... I just made all that up. That's good. There you go. Um, and so now they've come in chapter 18 to Mount Sinai. Now, that's not the point of 18. That's really going to start with Exodus 19 and 20. But they have come to this place um, that is significant, but not as much as you think. Um, because here they are. They go into the wilderness. And as soon as they left captivity, they started to grumble and complain over and over, no matter what the Lord did. And what we're going to learn today, though, is that here they are. They come to Mount Sinai. God's going to give them Ten Commandments soon enough. But really, it's, it's about two primary things. First is about the visit of an in-law. Um, the in-laws come to visit. Yay. Isn't that great? A couple days ago, my in-laws, um, they called up. They sent a text, actually, and they said, Hey, we want to come visit in a week or two. Um, when do you want us to come? And I was like, Friday from 1 to 3. Now, I have a great relationship with my in-laws. Anybody else have a great relationship with your in-laws? That's a good response, men. Um, so, great relationship with my in-laws. I'm very, very blessed. They're going to be coming up to visit. Well, Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, is about to visit them. That's one of the things that we're going to learn about today. Here's the other thing you're going to learn about today. Is that our life is primarily consumed of, let's just say that this is your life. What is this? Milk jug, this is your life. And let's say that everything's being poured into your life. Education, right? So you've been learning, you've been growing. Anybody, any graduates, high school, college graduates here in this service? Like, I'm talking about like this year, May. Not all, everybody's like, I graduated. Oh, that was 73 years ago. Um, so any, any recent graduates, like this month, anybody in this service? Okay, one, two, okay, good job. Um, congratulations. Um, tell them congratulations, please. Well done. Um, the other services didn't get that. I just want you to know that. Um, so here's your life, and you've been having knowledge poured into your life. So here's knowledge being poured into your life. Here's maybe even if you're coming here to this place, the Word of God being poured into your life. Your parents are pouring into your life and all these different things. And what we often do is we take everything that is being poured into our life, we put a lid on it, and then we take it and we're like, there we are. We've got what we want, right? This is ours now, all this knowledge and, and, and all this even understanding of the Word of God and who He is. But really, if we think about it, what our life should be is if I take this knife and I 
punch a lot of holes in the bottom of this. All right, so there we go. Everything that we've been having poured into our life would then what? Flow out. It'd pour out of it. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, raise your hand. Raise both hands. Woo! There we go. That means everything being poured into your life is now pouring out on the lives of other people. And the reason I say that is because, listen, if I love Jesus, if I claim to be redeemed by the blood of Christ to know true joy, true peace, true contentment and comfort, right? Salvation through Jesus Christ alone. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the... No one comes to the Father except through me. So here's the words of Christ. If that's me, that means that anybody I'm hanging out with for any kind of extended time whatsoever, I should be pouring out onto them the grace, love, forgiveness, and grace of Jesus. If not, there's something wrong. If you spend an hour with someone and they don't even know that you love the Lord, there's something wrong. And what you're about to see is not only this understanding of, yeah, here comes my father-in-law, Jethro, visiting Moses, but you're about to learn a lot about leadership and how our lives should be dripping out on other people. So, Exodus chapter 18, let's dive into it. It's only one chapter today. It's usually two or three, so this is great. All right, here we go. Exodus chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. Now let me stop. Remember Exodus chapter 3, if you weren't here for that, Moses had just killed an Egyptian. And so then as a result of that, knowing that Pharaoh wanted to take his life, he did what? Anybody? He ran away. He goes into the wilderness, goes to a well. He sees some women there. Zipporah is one of them. The, the daughters of Jethro ends up saying, hey, to them, help them out. As a result, all the sons, Zipporah goes back, tells about what happened. Moses is like, where's the dude? You don't usually find men in the desert. Go get him. So that happens. They end up getting married. They're together. He lives out in the wilderness for a very long time, 40 years. And so there he is. This is his wife. They have a couple of sons. Obviously, Jethro has been taking care of Moses' wife and children while all of this has been taking place. And he's the priest of Midian, which means he's not an Israelite. Now, this is what we need to understand. I think this is more significant than people make it. They were living in a day and an age where people were polytheistic, meaning that they worshipped multiple gods. We're monotheistic, meaning there's how many gods? One God. And yet we know that even, remember the plagues, each of the plagues was God defeating one of their gods saying, they're nothing, I am the one true God. So now all of a sudden, here's a Midianite who would have been polytheistic, polytheism, worship of many gods, and is, is now coming, he's about to come and acknowledge who the one true God is. This is so powerful. Think of the Gentiles. This is, in, a, in, a, in essence, a Gentile coming and saying, hey, listen, I know I'm not one of the chosen, but yet has starting to understand who God really is, the one true God is, and is stepping into the picture. It's powerful to think about. So here are people who are worshipers of the one true God, actually not a part of Israel, stepping in. 
So this is happening. Jethro comes back, the father-in-law, brings his wife, brings his kids. And then it says, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, this is verse 5, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. mountain of God is Mount Sinai. Again, this, more of the significance of that is going to start in the next chapter. And when he sent, listen, this is so good. He was encamped at the mountain of God, and when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. This is what Moses does in verse 7. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. Now, I've already told my father-in-law he listened to the first message. I'll say it again. That ain't going to happen. He's like, I think you should come and bow down and give me a kiss. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Not going to happen. But yet, here's Moses doing that because it was a sign of respect. And Guys, every stereotype has truth to it, right? There, there's a stereotype that once you get married, there could be problems with the in-laws. Anybody recognize this? You're, not one of you raised your hand. Honestly, so one, we'll talk about honesty next week. Um, we look at this, and there, there can be tension in the relationship when they start showing up at your house. I've done that right when I got married. I bought a house the day before I met my future wife. I bought a house a mile away from her parents. Okay? I don't know if that's Jesus, Satan, something. So there we are. I buy a house, and all of a sudden, the first time they showed up, and I didn't know. They're like, oh, we just came over to eat dinner. And I'm like, oh, we got to talk. There are rules here. Right? And you start to have that relationship. I don't know what your relationship is with your in-laws and with family. But here Jethro is coming, and he's stepping into the picture. Here, out of respect, Moses comes, greets him, bows down before him, kisses him. And then they ask each other about their welfare. How, how's everybody doing? Hey, how, how was the trip? I guess all those things. And then they went into the tent. This is what's taking place. This is what's taking place. And then, 8 and 9, important. Moses told his father-in-law, so, hey, this is how everything's going, welfare. They come in together to the tent. And I love, I think this is part of it, is they talked about what mattered. Now, Moses calls out to Jethro and begins to tell him all that the Lord had done. And remember, the people continually grumbled and complained. But here's Moses speaking to Jethro and says, told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and all that the Egyptians and, and to all the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Now, here's what a lot of people would do: is hey, oh man, you get you get in-laws, Thanksgiving table, something like that. They come to visit. Like, here's eh, how's the year been, man? It's been so hard. It's been tough. Man, just, it's, it's a struggle, it's hardship. Um, how's your year been? That's not what Moses did. At least that's not all of what he did. He says, man, this, it was hard, but here, let me tell you what God did. And then he spoke about how the Lord had been with them and delivered them. When you speak about your own life to others, do you leave out how God has delivered you? Or do you just want to complain and grumble? And Moses, he was talking about the hardship, but he wasn't speaking about the hardship in order to complain. He was speaking about the hardship in order for them to recognize the work of God in the hardship, which brought deliverance. Eight and nine. 
And so here's Jethro's response. And Jethro rejoiced. And Jethro rejoiced. And Jethro what? Rejoiced. And rejoicing in the Old Testament in Hebrew was more than like, okay, God's cool, yay. Like there was a physical response to the deliverance of what God had done. And so here he is rejoicing. Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done in Israel. He doesn't not rejoice because, man, things were hard. I mean, think about how difficult things were. They were tough. They were tough. And yet that's not where Moses is living right now. He's going, yeah, man, things were tough, but God was with us. God delivered us. So Jethro was rejoicing for all the good that the Lord had done in Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So now he's rejoicing. And this is what we see unfolding. And then we come to verse 10 through 12. Now I know some of you may not have scripture in front of you, so I want to I put this here. Let's look at this together, verses 10 through 12. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord, who has what? Delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is what? Greater, Greater than all gods. Here's Jethro, remember, polytheistic, calling out, oh, your God's greater. Oh. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And so then, here's Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. As a result of this, not only does he come and worship and praise God, it says that he does what? He brings a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Here's a guy coming from a polytheistic culture. Here's about what the Lord had done. Knew that that must be the one true God. As a result of that, right away he ends up rejoicing and praising God and breaking bread with other leaders and making sure that he has a sacrifice and a burnt offering given. How are we responding to the deliverance of God in our own lives? Is this our response? Is our response all of a sudden that it's pouring out of us in praise and worship and making sacrifices to God? Or we go, okay, yeah, it's cool and that's mine now, but then we just kind of bottle it up and we kind of live life the way we want to live. Let's be honest, the majority of our Western culture is taking whatever we've learned about God, we close the lid and we carry it around with us, but we don't pour out on everybody else. If anybody, if you're a believer in Jesus, now remember, you, gotta treat, you treat believers and unbelievers differently. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if I spend any kind of time with you, I'm going to keep coming back to this. Then in some way, I should be impacting you with you understanding the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus and what he has done in your life. If I'm not, I'm not living according to his truth and his word, rejoicing what he has delivered me from. So he calls us out. Jethro ends up speaking of the greatness of the Lord. They bring a burnt offering, a sacrifice to God. 
Aaron, the brother of Moses, got to remember that, and all the elders come and they begin to eat together. So here's Jethro. Someone even tell you that maybe we know that the covenant that God has made with Abram and other people, he's going about to make an additional covenant with the people of God. But some would even say that he's been making, even Jethro is making this covenant before God. A non, again, a non-Israelite calling out, acknowledging the one true God. And all of this is unfolding right before us. Right before us. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. And they break bread together with the other elders. Now that's the first phase. I think the first, uh, first 12 verses, if I were to break up this chapter, uh, would be the first 12 verses and then 13 and following. That's what's happening in the first half of this chapter. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, comes to visit Moses tells his father-in-law, look at all that God has done. They praise God. They worship God. Yes. And then, just like I do, when my father-in-law, my in-laws come into town, which they probably will do in a couple of weeks, if I'm unable to go out of town, what I will end up doing is I will wake up, same time I normally do, around 6.30 or 7, I come to work, get stuff done. It's my time of a little bit of quiet in the building and I just jump into scripture every single day. That's kind of my routine. And so, but here what's happening is Moses, we find out he goes to work the next day. And guess who decides to go with him? Jethro. His father-in-law wakes up with him and says, I'm going to go to work with you. Um, yay, again. That's, I mean, that just wouldn't work for me. But because I love and respect him, if he would like to come with me, you may. Um, because here's Jethro, he shows up, the next day Moses set to judge the people, that means he went to work, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening, this is 13 and 14 and 15, and when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is it that you're doing for the people? Everybody loves this too, your father-in-law shows up, you have a good evening, the next day he wakes up and he questions what you do for a living. Anybody? Moses' father-in-law, all that he's been doing, what is it that you're doing for these people? Why don't you sit alone? All the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Now remember, there's oral tradition taking place. They know that Moses is a man of God with a heart for God, right? And someone who is listening and hearing from God, and they're wanting to know what God is wanting for them, so they're coming to Moses. That's what's taking place here. And as Jethro goes to work with Moses, he's seeing what he's doing, and he's like, what are you doing? You're spending too much time settling disputes, making rulings about God's law, and so he tells them, he, Jethro steps in as the follow and says, here, let me tell you what you need to do. That's so good. Any of you love, like, anybody love to be criticized or corrected first day by your in-laws? Anybody love this? Anybody? Anybody? No. Nobody. Liar. Nobody loves this. And then here comes Jethro saying, this, let me tell you what you need to be really doing with yourself. But he has good reason for it. He's like, why are you doing this alone? 
And he's about to tell them, I'll go ahead and tell you. He's about to say, you're cheating the people. One, they're still waiting for you at the end of the day. You haven't gotten to everybody. And so you're cheating them. And why do you think that you have to do it by yourself? You know, that, that's very much of what I think we've done in the church today, is that we let one person do way too much. Like people ask, and, and I, I do a lot of conferences teaching pastors, and like, the average size church in America is 70. And I tell them, the reason why is simple, because pastors are not allowed to empower other people to lead, and one person can only care for about 70 people, period. I remember, right, this is my first church. When I went to my first church, and I, I mean, I grew that church from 55 to 40 right away. And... <laughs> It was amazing, and I'm like crawling through sewage, and I'm doing all kinds of, I'm cutting the grass, and I was uh, driving this thing that had a truck called the Snow Commander. It only had one gear, um, and so I'd push the snow around, and I'm doing all the work while I'm running in to work on a sermon, and then some family's leaving the church because I didn't know they were in the hospital, but I didn't show up, and so all of these, but I'm not bitter. I am not bitter. I'm a little bitter, little. I'm a little bitter because I look at it, I go, man, one, do, do we even allow others to be built up and equipped so that we can share in the responsibility? God made us to do it together. Again, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, raise your hand. We're made to serve this community in the name of Jesus Christ together. Every single one of us. You're not made to come and simply to have poured into you and poured into you and poured into you and poured into you. And I'm just going to keep teaching you and challenging you with the Word of God for you to go away, put it in a lid, go live your own life, and then come back and you'll open the lid up next Sunday morning. Yes, we worship even on Memorial Day here so that I can pour back into you more and more and more so you can put the lid back on and take it back. And then next Sunday, you take it off, give me some more, and you keep it. No, we are meant for it to ooze and pour out of our life the goodness and the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus. That's why we were created. Right? And it's so many of us, we just want to be poured into and poured into and poured into. And here, Jethro is speaking into Moses and saying, what are you doing? Verse 17, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. We're not made to do it alone. You're going to wear yourself out, Joel. You're not, I'll tell you right now that the elders of this church, the lay elders of this church, there are 11 of them right now, about to be another one. There, we usually have 12 lay elders. They are the spiritual overseers of what we do as a congregation. We have 48 deacon couples. They serve, diaconia. They serve the people of the church if you want to be served. Some people don't want it. You can call and call and call. They don't want anything and so, fine, that you have to want it, you have to allow for it. But if we didn't have such strong lay leadership, I will tell you two years ago, three years ago, I would have quit. 100%. Just wearing myself out. Pastors do, well, at least some pastors work more than what? Half a day a week. I work two-thirds of a day. And I look at this and I was wearing myself out. And yet the elders of this church have said, no, you're not meant to do it alone. And they partner with me. And we link arms together, and they serve me, and they hold me accountable to take time off. Because I'm a worker, like I, I was right. You work. You work hard. And they hold me accountable. They hold me to truth. 
And yet here's Jethro letting Moses know, listen, you're going to wear yourself out. You need other people around you. For the thing is too, verse 18, the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. You're not able to do it alone. So verse 19, so obey my voice. I'm going to give you advice. What a father-in-law. I love it. He says, God be with you. You shall, here, he's going to tell him first what Moses you better be doing. And then I'm going to tell you what you should be looking for in others so that they can help you. What he says first, he says, I'm going to give you advice. God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. If you represent someone before God, that means you are to be praying for those people. I pray for my elders by name. Even if it's quickly, sometimes it's, I just kind of camp out on a, a few people that God just puts on my heart. I pray for them by name pretty much daily. I pray for our deacons. I pray for this church all the time that God, Holy Spirit, would so fill every single crevice of our hearts and of this space that there's room for no division. There's no room for calloused hearts. There's no room for anything that would step in front of the Word of God. It's a daily prayer for me. And he's telling Moses, you need to be representing the people before God, praying for these people before God. Not only that, he's, he, he tells them, you shall represent the people before God and bring their case to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, which means you should be teaching them, you should be praying for them. If, you, if, if this is you and it's coming out, that means the people around you, you should be praying for them, you should be teaching them. And not only that, he says, and make them the way, make them know the way in which you must walk and what they must do. Make to them known the way in which they must walk. New Testament church, we know they are considered to be people of the way. There's a John 14, 6 again. I'm the way, truth, and the life. life. That's why they were called people of the way. He tells them continually that they should be walking with him. We are to walk so closely behind Christ, the rabbi, the teacher, our teacher, that we pick up his dust, right? That's what we should be doing. So that's why it tells us even in other examples, other places where we can look at this, in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to what? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're to be walking in this way. So now Moses is being told by his father-in-law, listen, you better be praying for the people around you. This is what you should be doing, by the way. You better be praying for the people around you. You better be teaching them. You've got to know that. And you need to be setting the example in the way that you live life and walk. Friends, do you think that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is just a rhetorical question, okay? Parents, even better. I'm going to go parents. If you're truly honest with yourself, do you want for your life to be replicated by your children?
Do you want your kids, if you are devout, a devout follower of God, of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, if you are a devout believer, if someone who claims that, do you think your children should emulate you in order to be the same, if not even greater? And so what we find here Man, I think there are too many people today, give me a moment here, we desire to be respected, but yet we're not worth emulating. Oh, how I pray that is not us. Moses can't handle all the responsibility in front of him. And so in verse 21 and 22, it says, Moreover, look for able men. This is Jethro again. Remember his father-in-law. Moreover, look for able men from all the people. Men who what? Men who what? Who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chief of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. So he calls us out. He tells them what he should be looking for in leaders. First thing he tells them is they should be fearing, they should fear the Lord. Now we know that biblical fear, I'm going to keep saying this all through the series of Exodus, but to fear the Lord, we talk about, oh, well, shouldn't we our faith be greater than fear, etc. Yes, our faith should be greater than fear. Fear of the Lord is not like, oh no, he's gonna beat me up. Fear of the Lord is jaw, what we say is jaw-dropping awe of who God is and what he's done for you and how he's delivered you out of your own captivity of sin. You're so amazed by that that even when you're a Jethro and you hear about it, your first response is praise and to, to bring burnt offering and to make sacrifices because you can't believe what he's done. And so that's fear of the Lord. To have that jaw-dropping awe, being a person of godliness, striving to be like him. So he's like, go find people who truly fear the Lord. Who don't participate with the grumblings of the people. That's another way to think about it. But who fear the Lord. They're, the jaw-dropping awe that they have of God is so great. They can't imagine grumbling against the very person, the very thing, the very God, Yahweh, Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, signifying Yahweh, the one true God. They can't imagine grumbling and complaining unless it's to say, hey, here's how it was hard, but here's what God did to deliver me. Make sure they have a fear of the Lord. Second thing they're looking for is someone who walks with integrity, trustworthy. I was talking to some people earlier this morning and even this last week. What's it mean to walk with integrity? It means you speak with truth. You, true, you speak honestly, not simply what you think someone wants to hear, but the reality of what is. That's something I hear all the time and, and see more and more kids toward parents, but also friend among friend, is that you tell people, we may tell someone what you think they want to hear rather than the reality of what is.
well, how's it going at work? I know that last week you were actually about to get fired. How's it going? Well, it's still going. It's, it's okay. It's okay. And yet, um, maybe you lost your job. We tell people what they want to hear. And he's saying, I need you to walk with integrity, to be faithful to the word, to speak the truth. Another thing he calls out is that they are to hate bribes or to hate dishonest gain or to have a hatred for dishonest gain. In 1 Timothy 3, yes, it speaks about what the qualifications of an elder and a deacon are, but really it's what every single person should be striving for, every single person. And it says that we are to be above reproach. That we can't, what that means is you shouldn't be able to be questioned for pursuing anything other than God with your life. That's what it means to be above reproach. So he's calling out, here's what a godly leader is, someone who fears the Lord, walks with integrity, who hates bribes. And really, if you look at the theme of what's happening here, is they are also somebody who encourages people to submit to, God's, to God in obedience. That's what you're trying to do. Is you wanna, that Moses is trying to look at others and saying, man, encourage them to submit to God in obedience. And now he's calling them out to lead with him. And yet too many of us, we're not helping in the leadership. We're not helping to really represent God because we take what we learn, we put the cap on it, and we go and live our own life. What are we doing? And the judges, the, these new leaders, they weren't there trying to make the laws. It was given by God. They are simply trying to help people make decisions based on the Word of God. So you need to know who you're listening to. If someone's giving you advice and it's not grounded in Scripture, stop listening. He tells them, these are the qualifications, for, these are the qualifications we should be trying to live out ourselves. It says, let them, it says in verse 22 and 23, let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter shall still come back to you, but any small matter they shall decide among themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. They will bear the burden with you. I absolutely love this, by the way. Is that they recognize very, very quickly what it would mean. This is, this is how Moses would be able to endure, is by others partnering with him. Now, this is not the case here, but I will tell you that in churches today, there is a mass exodus of pastors today where they get criticized, but they never get assisted. Now that, hear me say this, that is not the case for me. Amazing group of leaders, but that's what's happening. That's why churches in this, I can tell you so many churches are closing probably in the next year. It's sad to me. We need more churches, not fewer. Hear me say that. We need far, far more healthy churches than what we currently have. And so we see this, and yet the, way, the reason Moses was going to be able to endure is because of the people who would come alongside of him and link arms with one another and stand together for the word of God so that nothing can push them aside from teaching the word, from praising God for his deliverance, from making sure that they celebrated who he was for all that he had done. He says in verse 23, I love it, if you do this, God's going to direct you. 
If you get others to help you, right? Because mature leaders invite what? Anybody know this? In mature leaders invite what? Accountability. accountability. It's so wonderful that Moses was willing to allow for accountability in his life, not just from anybody, but even from his father-in-law. He said, if you do this, if you call out other leaders, guess what? God's going to direct you. You'll be able to endure, and all the people also will go to their place in peace. And so verse 24, here he is. Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law. There are too few of us who actually, we're, we're trying to absorb the information, but we're not really listening to it. You are to submit fully to the word of God, to be someone who fears the Lord, someone who is trustworthy of, of character, of integrity, someone who is willing to make sure in all times that you will always resist against any bribe, that you will conduct yourself in a manner worthy of walking in the presence of God so that anybody around you, anybody around you, they want to pick up what you're laying down. And what you're laying down is Jesus Christ. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people. Chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case brought to Moses, small matters, they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and then he went away to his own country. And after his father-in-law left, Moses threw a party. It doesn't say that. I was just seeing if you're listening. Seeing if you're there. Here's my question. Are you pouring out the goodness of God in your own life? Or are you just wanting everybody else to do it for you? Are you saying, man, I, I go to Chapel Point, they do this and they do that. Or are you saying, man, I go to Chapel Point, I can't believe I get to go to Chapel Point. This is what we're doing together, and you're actually doing it together. And as you pour forth character and integrity and trustworthiness, a, a fear of the Lord, as it pours out of your life, as it's been poured into your life, are other people picking it up? Is your life worth replicating? Right, I got four kids. And if I really, that, that question hit me earlier um, because I didn't ask it in the other services and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, do I want for my kids to truly emulate me, not simply do what I want them to do? Will you stand with me? Let's stand up together. Will you do me a favor? Do this. 
Just take your arms and put them out like this. Somebody's not doing it beside you, poke them. This is how we should be walking, my friends. Linked arm and arm together, serving the church, the body of Christ, this community together. Are you serving with us? God, I pray for your encouragement today. I pray that we would know more of what it is to fear you, to have jaw-dropping all, to walk with an integrity and a character, to hate dishonest gain, that we would encourage others to submit to you, God, in obedience, that, that we would submit to you fully, that we would learn from the lessons of Jethro, that we're not, it's not intended that we do it alone, that we get to do it with one another, that we don't have to live a life of anxiety and stress and worry alone, that we can conquer that by calling out our brothers and sisters to help us and to partner with us, to pray for one another. God, please, may we serve you in a greater way than we've ever known. I love you, O oh Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.